0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Wendy Batts here with my colleague and friend, Mr. Marty Miller. Marty, how are you today?
1: Great, Wendy. Appreciate that. I hope you're doing well.
0: Oh, always. You know, I'm, I'm actually excited about this week. A, we are live. So if you guys have any questions or comments, as Marty and I are talking about the content today, please feel free to put it in the comment box and we'll be sure to get those questions answered. And also, thanks for joining us. Um, but this week, we are talking about the near and dear OPT model and going through, doing a review, because I think sometimes it's good for all of us to take a step back and make sure that when we're talking about integrated training and we're talking about stabilization strength and power we're all still talking the same language and sometimes this can get confusing especially if you're new to NASM.
1: Yeah, when you also, you know, travel in the country, I run into a lot of NASM CPTs and you know, ask about a superset or a phase of training sometimes they they stumble and they're like, "Ooh." So, you know, to me it's like this is something you want to always use. The models always your best friend you know, the more and more you use it, the more and more you're going to memorize it and put it into your everyday practice. So, you know, I think it's going to be good to, to review that. And I bet you there's gonna be some uh, people here are like, you know what, I haven't really focused on that phase, or I forgot why that phase is where it's at too. So I think that um, hopefully we bring some light to why you and I just absolutely love the model and live and breathe <laughs> by it daily.
0: Yeah. And I think too, just kind of a, a understanding of human movement science and the different types of progressions that we do and why. um, I think it's a a good reminder. I mean, I know on the NASM Facebook page, actually just a few minutes ago, I was looking at it and there was a, a great comment that was made in there. It was someone that apparently is, um, you know, has a lot of muscles, so I don't know if they're a bodybuilder or what the case is, but they were saying that now they're integrating and really focusing back on phase one, that all the people in the gym are like staring at them. And is that a bad thing or a good thing? And to me, I think it's a compliment, which is what I wrote. I'm like, good for you, because A, it's a great way to build business, B, it's something different, and it starts a conversation. And so, you know, oftentimes when people are like, I feel like when I'm using phase one, or I'm doing this, that they feel awkward and, and you shouldn't because you're building a strong foundation guys. You're only as strong as you are stable. And so, you know, if you really want to work on strength and power, you need to be, um, you know, very stable first, or you're only going to lead yourself to potential injury if you're not careful.
1: Like I always say, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe.
0: <laughs> very true. So that's actually what we're going to talk about. We're going to do a quick review about human movement system, we're going to talk about integrated training we're going to talk about different periodizations and when you should go up when you should go down you know maybe talk about how marty and i you know when we're working with clients if they've gone through all five phases maybe how we would do some undulated um training so you know again the floor is open for you guys too because we want to make sure if you have questions that we get those answered
1: excellent and the key thing is you know this has been studied and research for 20 plus years now and The research is always coming back that this is the best way to train. So when we look at human movement system here, you know, we've got to talk about the kinetic chain. Wendy loves her five K's and the regional interdependence model. So, you know, when you look at human movement, you know, these are going to play very nicely together. So you'll see in the very center there, the HMS, or the human movement system. So you've got the nervous system that communicates to the muscular system to fire, and then that will move the skeletal system. Now, As fitness professionals, we're going to focus primarily on that nervous system and muscular system. As an athletic trainer, if there's physical therapists in here, Wendy has the manual therapy license. There's a time and a place that you may actually go focus on the skeletal system, but if you're doing your job, going through your assessments, doing the soft tissue work through self-myofascial techniques, following the right form and technique for our static stretching, moving into the active and dynamic stretching by going after that nervous system and the quality of muscle recruitment and getting people to have their five kinetic chain checkpoints in order and activating the right muscles at the right time. A lot of times the skeletal system will do as it's designed or will improve its movement. Just on occasion, if you run into something where there's movement that is not improving like you think one, do a, another reassessment, make sure that your client is doing everything you've asked them to do. Cause sometimes they're like, kind of maybe, yeah, I'm not really doing that, my homework, or it's always good to have a referral system to where you can send somebody out to a athletic trainer, physical therapist, manual therapist like Wendy, because there's a, a, there is a time where if the skeletal system, um, isn't moving well from a previous injury or some type of thing that they've had at birth, it can obviously affect the nervous system and the muscular system. But as a personal trainer, we're going to highly focus on that quality of the nervous system and muscular system to make the skeletal system work properly.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about the kinetic chain, again, we're talking, we're looking at the foot and ankle complex. We're looking at the knees, making sure the knees and the hips are, you know, in good alignment as well. So the ASIS bones and the knees and the ankles are all lined up. Hips are in neutral, shoulders are in neutral and the head's in a good position guys. The reason why we're doing this is like Marty said, you know, we're trying to get all of our systems to work together but you know, it starts with your brain. Your brain is the program and we've used a computer as an example, it's the software. And over time with, when we've had altered movement patterns and you know, based on how we're sitting or our job or these repetitive movements that are not healthy um, for our body, that becomes the new norm and your body's always gonna go to the path of least resistance. So when you're thinking along those terms, we need to reprogram the system, which is the brain, And then so the nervous system to be able to get different muscle recruitment, like Marty said, because, you know, if we, if we just allow those compensations to happen, we don't put people in proper alignment. We don't reactivate muscles that we know are like uh, underactive, and we don't calm those overactive muscles down, then we're doing a disservice to our clients. And so, you know, it really is important to start from the beginning, start for the basics It's not the sexy exercises it's the exercises that should work. And even though oftentimes we get in our own head, it's not about what's hard for us because we may be, you know, like fully going on all systems and everything's great and you move phenomenally. I am still not that that in that in that category. Um, You know, I've got a lot of compensations I work. I really work on and have to focus on because of what I do. But, you know, the thing is, is. When you know that there's an underactive muscle based on that assessment and you know that they're really struggling within staying within the five kinetic chain checkpoints while they're moving, then don't think about what's easy or hard for you. Look at the form, look at the technique, slow tempos, get it firing correctly. So therefore, you know that you're doing a good job in the program so the body will follow suit.
1: Yeah. And and before we move past this, I had a conversation with a high level fitness professional yesterday. He's got some young children at home and we were talking about, you know, think how beautifully infants move right from, you know, once they start crawling and sitting and squatting and, you know, we, we all move really, really well at the beginning of our life. And then over time, due to a lot of different factors, we start moving poorly to different levels. So If somebody says, Oh, I've always moved like this, Mm, probably not. It's just they can't remember when they haven't moved like that for a long period of time. And, you know, I was walking through the airport yesterday and I would see one foot turned out 30 degrees on one side and somebody would have both feet turned out. And like you start to see these. So these are correctable. We have to address them. And, you know, I think that's uh, what we're going to cover in bits and pieces today. But, you know, why the model is so important.
0: Yeah and when we you know really think about this it kind of brings us to this slide when we think about muscle imbalances and I've always used the um fist example. Um, and if you guys have ever taken a workshop with me or been on other podcasts where I tried to make this demonstration, if you can see it, it's obviously great to watch this. If you can't listen to the words that I'm saying and try to focus on this, but you want to try to think if you've got your wrist and elbow properly lined up and you can make a fist and your wrist in, in, um, is in neutral position, just like you're going to go punch someone, right? You're going to make sure that your joints are stacked. And that means each side of each of the joint is in proper alignment you can make a pretty good fist. So if I go into wrist flexion and try to make that same fist, it's definitely weak, like weaker in comparison to when it was upright. And if I go into extension and do the same thing, it's extremely weak. And so, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, if a muscle is overactive, it's over strong. Well, no, if you have an overactive muscle, it's putting the joint in a compromised position and that muscle's still weak. If you go in the other direction, the joint is still in a compromised position and it's even weaker and so that's why when we talk about realignment when we talk about muscle imbalances we need to really focus on getting better length into the overactive muscle so we do that by self myofascial technique percussion devices anything that's going to um, get the the muscles itself the to um relax and then at that point we need to strengthen the opposing side so therefore we have good stability back into that joint This takes time. It's not like it's a one and done thing. And so that's why we tell everyone every four to six weeks reassess because you're going to have to continuously work on it. It's not, oh, I did this one time. I foam rolled this and it didn't, it didn't fix my problem. Well, it probably got better, but you know, making sure that you really strengthen the opposite side, I think is extremely important too, because you can't really just do one without the other.
1: Right. And I know Wendy likes to use violence in her um, descriptions where she's going to punch somebody, but it's a great description. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's why the model is the model, right? There's nothing that's left out, whether it's the corrective exercise model or the OPT model. There's the sequences purposely because the research has shown exactly what he's talking about is that we have to identify overactive muscles that are causing the problem. Like, so if you look at the muscles and the picture on on the right side of that is one muscles pulling, causing it. The other muscle is lengthened. You can use the term weakened as well in a relative sense, allowing that. So again, that's where the science has shown we are going to inhibit, we're going to lengthen the one side, we're going to activate, and integrate the other side. And then you do that throughout the kinetic chain. And yes, this is a daily process. You know, Wendy, you and I have talked about it before when we do live, we, you know, live education, we show it. Nobody sleeps in good posture. So if you're spending six to eight hours sleeping in poor posture, right out of the gate, you're going to have to work on things. Then most people have a commute. We're sitting right now, so it is something that we're going to have to work on every day. But you know, I'll use this example, and I know Wendy will pick on me in a second. But you floss your teeth, you brush your teeth every day for a reason, for maintenance, right? So, this or like is where, five
0: times a day if you're Marty Miller, by the yeah. way. So
1: hey, <laughs> it is what it is. You know, I could be known for worse things, right? Yeah,
0: I'm not. I it's a good. It's a good. to do marty
1: right yes that's do i travel with a toothbrush in my bag yes do i have one in my back pocket at workshops yes but don't judge me but the point is it's preventative maintenance right it's something so yes do i foam roll every day do i do my correctives every day do i work on my posture every day absolutely right so as you said it's not going to be a one and done but it's that targeted warm-up so that way we can then go do the other phases of training that we want to spend time in
0: yes so now this is one that I, I really like this demonstration and this one actually came out of the corrective exercise. So Marty and I are kind of pulling things from different places. And if, and if you're just joining us today on the master instructor Roundtable, Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Bats are talking about just integration, how human movement works and why we utilize the model in the, in the way that we do and, and the rationale behind it. Again, we can talk about it, but if you don't have anything to say, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing then it's just a bunch of fluff and that's definitely not what we want to (laughs) that's definitely not the direction that we're going but you know when you're looking basically at this diagram here you know we're always talking about trying to have optimal neuromuscular control and marty said this on slide one you know we're trying to get the right muscles to fire at the right time in the right plane of motion if we do that because we move in all three planes of motion and our body has adapted to those movements and we're doing it correctly we're minimizing the chances of having that joint go out of alignment. So then again, that's when we're talking about having issues. So when they're talking about arthrokinematics, meaning that the joints aren't really aligned because the muscles are having to use other muscles to get the job done. That's also when we're talking about link tension relationships. Guys, when, we're, when we really focus on the regional interdependence model, if you're lacking 20 degrees of dorsiflexion or somewhere along even 15 to 20, that's, that's what, what our target is. Anything less than that, we're gonna start to have to use our synergists, which are those muscles that help the prime mover do the job. Well, then if those synergists are helping another muscle do something and they're not working on what they're supposed to be doing, then they're going to have to go all the way up the kinetic chain by borrowing a friend to get a job done and so that's kind of the whole purpose of this model we're trying to make sure that we don't have one side that's lengthened one side that's overactive we're trying to make sure that our joints are in proper alignment you know when you look at everything together and we have perfect harmony then this is going to lead to optimal human performance because again Our five kinetic chain checkpoints are lined up. Our body's in good position. We're in the strongest position when we're, when our joints are lined up and stacked. And so therefore we're going to be able to lift more and then move faster without having to, you know, borrow a friend, if you will.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And when you and I've been doing this long enough and before the Instagram where, you know, we used to bring a foam roller into a gym and people thought we were crazy. We used to do things on a single leg. We used to work on mobility you know, and this, we started the corrective exercise teaching it. So the science was out there before back in 2005 was the first workshop. And now everybody's talking about mobility and they might use a different term, but at least now I think you're going to get less pushback. Um, I know in the industry, but even with your clients, mobility now has become cool, right? Working on these little ranges of motion has become cool, but don't just go on Instagram and find something and throw it in there. You've got to take that from an assessment standpoint put it back in there where it belongs for that person. And now you're going to improve their human movement. So we, you know, anything you see in that, I promise you NASM was the one waving the flag back in the early 2000s talking about this. But now I think it's been widely accepted. And, you know, Wendy, you know the day when, you know, we used to talk about corrective exercise and that people thought we were nuts. It was just get stronger. That's how you prevent injuries. But people figured it out. Getting stronger on dysfunction is just, stronger dysfunction yes
0: bad programming bad programming (laughs) and so you know this is a question marty i know you get a ton i've gotten it in every single workshop and that's one of the reasons for today we're really talking about things that we discuss live things that we do and when you're thinking about integration there's a certain approach to it but the comments that we get is how do you fit all this in I don't know how to do all this in 45 minutes or an hour or whatever. And my question is why, because I've done this for over 20 years, I'm able to integrate all the things that I need to, in order to follow a systematic progress or a a progression, even in that one particular workout. And so when you're thinking about having the assessment and knowing exactly what muscles you need to target Guys, if you look on the solutions table after you've done your overhead squat or your single leg squat, and you start to look at the common compensations that you're seeing, there is going to be certain muscles that you're going to see repetitively based on the compensations that you checked yes on. And so if you only have 45 minutes or an hour, then only foam roll three or four different you know areas you know, maybe even just three, but give them homework to do, give them, you know, a list. Hey, this is how I want you to foam roll. And I want you to take some initiative and do this on your own. So therefore we're going to start to see progress faster. And this is going to make you feel better. They have to also want to own their journey and you're there to be the, the, the provider, if you will. So foam rolling and then, and then immediately going in static stretching, three different areas. And usually I would say, you know, it's usually the foot and ankle complex. So we start to really focus on stretching and and foam or, you know, foam rolling or so the calves, usually the TFL is a mess or the hip flexors are a mess because people are in a seated position or have an anterior pelvic tilt. So I usually focus on another area of the hips. And then I usually see the lats. If their arms fall forward, if they have rounded shoulders, if they have any of those, the lats play a huge part in that, as well as the lower back arch that you're going to see. And so those would be the three ones that I would do. I wouldn't sit there and foam roll or stretch every single muscle that I knew needed it because I do have a timeline and I need to be considerate of that. Plus, if you have a really good rapport and your clients are starting to understand what you want, have them come in 10 minutes before the time they meet with you and get that done. So as soon as they're done, they have lengthened those overactive areas that you wanted them to. So then when they start with you, you immediately go into activation which is the core strength and stability. So those are your planks, your bridges, your, you know, whatever it is that you need to target for the other side. And then, you know, cardio to me, I don't usually add cardio in like five or 10 minutes on a bike or a treadmill, they can do that on their own. So I do more of a vertical load for my weight loss clients. That's going to get their heart rate up. That is going to be cardio throughout their program. Slow tempos, one exercise right after another. So yeah, I don't take 10 minutes to do cardio because they're already going to be warmed up if they foam rolled correctly, if they've gone in and done static stretching. So I'll go from core. I do a balance because remember now that we've activated the other side, we've got to make sure that our joints know that when they're stacked, how to play with each other. And that's really where balance comes in. It's this awareness now in space of what your body's supposed to do, what the foot and ankle is supposed to do, what the arch of the foot is supposed to do. And so we really focus on balance on single leg, not, not on two legs standing on something, but can they keep their good center of gravity while they're doing a balance exercise? Then we do the plyometrics. We do that now because our body, a we've activated something, we've got good stability within our joints. We speed it up, even though we may hold in phase one three to five seconds to make sure we realign the body correctly. Again, reprogramming the brain and then they do that two, two or three different times. And then I have them do the workout. Like I tell everyone, those things that we just did, that's your warm-up. That is your warm-up. So core balance and plyometrics is your warm-up for now what we're used to doing. And so do I do SAQ? I might, but I throw that into resistance. I may put them on speed ladder, they run through it, you know, five or seven different patterns. They immediately go into chest, back, bys, tries, shoulders, legs, and then we repeat. So it can be done. So just think about what you're doing, think about your whys and then choose the correct exercises. And there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be able to get all of that done in one program.
1: Yeah, it absolutely can be done. And a couple of things that I thought about, Wendy, with your great explanation there is first and foremost, you gotta be your own first client. So if you're not training yourself that way, it may be harder for you to create a program within 30 to 45 minutes for that. Number two, you know, Wendy, you talked about giving homework. If I have a client come in, if they're not there 10 minutes earlier and they don't get their foam rolling and stretching or whatever I have them doing, we start the program with that. And then eventually they're like, oh, okay, this is that important. I guess I'll get here a few minutes early. And same thing, I can teach somebody their cool down and don't have to watch them do it. But also, you know, Wendy, you made a great point about the pattern of certain muscles being overactive. Well, guess what? There's going to be the flip side, muscles that are always underactive, right? Like Wendy, you and I have not ran into somebody that glute max is too strong yet, right? or they're mid-trap and low-trap. So when you start to see these patterns, it's very easy to be very specific with your warm up and your uh, muscles you're attacking from an overactive standpoint. And then if you start to integrate exercise that are mid-trap, low-trap with glutes in, and then you get your balance in, you're gonna be shocked. And when you start to get to those integration exercises, all of a sudden cardio can come in. And you know, so there's a lot of different ways to do it, as Wendy said. Just train yourself this way, and then it only becomes easier to design programs for people. Absolutely.
0: It's a lot harder than it seems. <laughs> but that kind of brings us into the five phases of the OPT model. Again, Marty said this, and we will say this until probably the day that we're no longer on this earth.
1: will be but- on that grade. My tombstone. I've
0: <laughs> right. Um, follow the OPT model. You know, <laughs> rest in peace. But um, you know, I think when we're when we're really talking about the model, the reason why we're so passionate about it, and we haven't changed anything that we've ever said in over 20 years, is because it is evidence based. It is rooted in science and research. It's not just something we read in a magazine and said, "Hey, this is cool. Let's try it." It's not like you know we're trying to sell something. I mean, I've had people in the industry say why doesn't NASM change the model? And, you know, because they'd be able to make more money if they change things. Well, it's not about making money, it's about doing what's right for the client and the trainer. So education-wise, yes, there's been some name changes because, you know, for example, now we went back to muscular development. That muscular development was what it was when it first was um, originated. And then it started to become more confusing. So, you know, the the purpose of that is hypertrophy. So that ended up becoming the name for a while. And then it's like, well, it's really more than just hypertrophy. You're going to get a lot of things out of that. And it's not necessarily just size, it's strength. And so um, when you're thinking about using this model, again, it doesn't matter what the client's goal is. They could be coming straight from a physical therapist out of some surgery and got released. And now they need your help in moving better. So improved health, you know, weight loss, of course, strength, they want to gain muscle. They need to, you know, we work with the highest level athletes on the planet and we've got to get them faster, stronger, and maybe even jumping higher, depending on whatever it is they're doing or a faster club head speed or tennis, you know, whatever it is all, it doesn't matter the sport, the goal is still the same movement, movement quality, and then being able to build upon that. And again, it always starts with phase one, having that good foundation because, Think about if you don't have solid ground and you build a house on top of it, and then you have all these bells and whistles, you could have this unbelievable mansion. But if your foundation itself isn't stable and strong, it's going to break apart. And you did all of that for nothing. Your yeah,
1: body so, I, I agree. And so for me, it's move well. Move well under load, move well at high speed, but it has to come back from moving well. And that's where, you know, when I saw this the first time um, back in the early 2000s, it was that light bulb moment going, this is it. This is, I've learned about all these other things. I knew about them all, but I didn't have that sequential process to put them in order. So uh, and I've been using it well over 20 years with myself and elite lead athletes, um, to what I call the everyday athlete and the results are phenomenal. Just, you got to get in there, practice it, understand the concepts behind it, and you're going to see great results for yourself as well as your clients.
0: Yeah. I mean, even before NASM integrated or, or integrated, haha, uh, before NASM actually adapted this methodology, you know, they were saying they were missing a system. They were teaching people how to work out. They were teaching people body part exercises, but there was no foundation and reason for why. And when they met Dr. Clark, who was the creator of this OPT model, um, it was something that, that made sense. And so that's why it was put into NASM. It's always been a gold standard. We don't really, you know, stray from it because there's no reason. But it's also important to say that the model is not rigid. It's not that this is the only way to do things. These are the only exercises that you can do in each phase. The the exercises that you choose, as long as it's safe, as long as someone can, can be able to do it safely, effectively, and efficiently, and they're using the right rep range and the right tempo, that's a successful exercise. So even though you may do something that's not in the book, I mean, they can't put every single exercise in the book. You have to be creative as a trainer. But you also want to make sure, too, that you're not doing this standing on one leg, using a body blade, trying to do a crunch at the same time with rotation. That doesn't make sense. And what is that going to relate to in everyday activities? So be smart in your choices, but don't also just be very mundane and do the same thing over and over and over again. Be creative, have fun and and make it challenging for your clients.
1: No, I couldn't agree more with that, Wendy. So, uh, you know, that's where we love the model. And, you know, here's another quick visual of what integrated training is where we're looking at everything. So core is at the middle, of course, because all human movement should start at the core. We know from research that it may not if you have a low back injury. But, you know, as you go around, everyone needs some level of flexibility, even if the people that are have ideal movement, they could still use active or dynamic stretching. Obviously, we know for people like myself and Wendy, you may be in this as well. There's times we need static stretching, but there's a purpose. We need balance. We need our cardiovascular system to be robust. You have to do resistance training. I like that it doesn't say weight training, right? Resistance training can still be, for some people, could be a plank, right? You are fighting resistance of your body or push-ups. It doesn't have to have always external load. Speed agility, quickness is excellent for everybody, whether you're an elite athlete or just looking to learn how to move through space and be coordinated. It's fun as well. And then plyometrics, if possible, they could be very, very low intensity all the way up to the highest intensity possible. So that is an integrated training model. And then, you know, as we move through, we'll talk about how to undulate those prior programs, either linearly or, you know, in um, undulating periodization.
0: Mm -hmm. And this guys can be used again for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're youth. It doesn't matter if you're a senior. People are like, I don't know if I really want my seniors to do SAQ. Well, I'm going to tell you why or ask you why, because seniors need to move. They need to learn to pick up their feet. Utilizing something like a speed ladder could be extremely beneficial for these individuals. Plus, it's fun. You know, we think when when people start to age that. We have to be very, you know, like sitting down on a machine. It's the only way because I don't have to worry about them falling. Well, first of all, if you train them utilizing the model and they are working on balance and they are working on stabilization, moving them through the model may not be as fast as they possibly can, but it may just be getting them to move in different directions, picking up their feet, you know, going in the sagittal plane, frontal plane, transverse plane. It can be super beneficial. Plus, if you're working with youth. It can be extremely fun, but it's also going to help them in activities, especially in sport, that they're going to be doing either at that time or in the future.
1: And it's all relative, right? Speed to somebody may or may not be to somebody else, but as long as it's what they can control. Exactly. So I like this picture here because I do, again, think things are changing. But when we got into this industry, everybody wanted to work on the waterline and above where it's the power the you know explosiveness all the cool stuff that people used to think was only cool but we really need to work on what's below that water line right proper movement functional movement stability mobility so that's where we've already talked about it we don't need to go into too, too much depth but the models built off either corrective exercise and or stabilization endurance that's what's below the water that's holding the rest of the iceberg up then you get into the strength, endurance, potentially muscular development, max strength and the power. And that's the athletic performance side. But you can't, you know, as we say, you got to earn the right. You can't move at high speeds if you can't move slow and controlled. So, you know, exp- like if you visually show this to your clients or go through the steps of the model, I used to draw it out. And nobody argued. If I said, okay, here's where we're going to start for the next two to four weeks, then we're going to go here, then we're going to go here. They're like, oh my God, you're blowing my mind. I didn't know that fitness was, I just thought we came in and did stuff. So (laughs) earn the right to get above that athletic performance, the waterline. And, you know, but you got to build that foundation. You got to have that iceberg below the water to support what's sitting up above it.
0: Mm -hmm. And when people say, you know, well, I want a six pack abs and I want this, it's important to say too, we need to train from the inside out. We need to train. People don't like phase one because we're really focusing more internally, you know, intervertebral stability, trying to get, like you said, proper movement patterns, Marty, you know, in, in our joints and better alignment. So we can do the cool things that everyone wants to do and sees, but, you know, just think you can crunch all day, but if you're really not stable, you're actually putting more you know, overactive, you know, or overactive. You're, you could be more overactive in your psoas, you know, because your, your hips aren't in a good position. That attaches to every one of your lumbar spine. That's going to increase low back pain. So there is a purpose and a process. And so if somebody says, I've got low back pain, but I also want to look this way, then say, okay, we need to fix some of this. So therefore I can get you out of pain. Again, we're not dealing with quote pain. It's just their terminology of that. We're really thinking, trying to get get the discomfort to to lay off and usually by just trying to get better alignment within certain regions of the body that discomfort goes away and so therefore miracle number one their mind's blown as you say marty um but then you can start to really hit the the muscles that people can see plus if you have them you know moving constantly they're doing vertical loads they're going and they're watching their diet they are going to start to see those muscles quote pop in in relation to if you know them staying under the layers and layers of fat that they may have that we also need to deal with.
1: Right. And, you know, for anyone that's just joining myself, Marty Miller here with Wendy bats on the master truck round we're doing kind of an NASM OPT review and talking about integrated training, kind of doing a reset on why the model has been the, you know, success it has for 25 plus years. And why hopefully all of you have taken this and just getting you reset on, you know, understanding the importance of, exactly what we do with our movement assessments and then our very specific programming through the different phases. So as we move forward here, now we can talk about, you know, how we want to progress, right? So when you look at intensity and duration, you know, people are like, oh, I'm in the gym working, you know, killing it for two hours. Mm, Define killing it, right? And I heard this the other day and I can't remember who said it, but if you're doing high intensity every day, you're not doing high intensity, right? So, You know, there's the specific work to rest ratio. There's everything we have in the acute variables. And that's why we do what we do. So that's why this is a phenomenal linear model that you're going to start with lower weight, higher repetitions, longer time on attention. And then you're progressing through where eventually you get to power, where it's very explosive, higher intensity, but then you would need longer rest intervals. So it's all built in there for you. So we look at a traditional method of program design, you know, we're talking about aiming to gradually increase the intensity of the training load while simultaneously decreasing volume over that set period. So you can see here, we took this right from um, table 21-1, you can see the time frame here, you know, week one to four, basically, the research shows it takes about two to four, maybe six weeks for the body to adapt to a phase of training, depending on where you are. So weeks one to four, stability, muscular endurance, light to moderate load, you'll see the percent of one RM. Then weeks five to eight, we may go into hypertrophy, muscular development. If it's a goal and in strength, moderate to heavy loads, you can see the one RM moves up. So obviously the repetitions would go down. And then week nine to 12, we're doing max strength into our power. So heavy to maximal loads, 85 to 100%. So again, this is where we need to be able to slide through this. And I'm going to pick on men, most men stay in the muscular development phase, you know, instead of four to six weeks, they do it for about four to six decades, right? They just, that's all they do. And then they wonder why they get injured or don't see the results. So Wendy already talked about it. We don't need to review it. You can get goals in every phase from the pre the previous phase, right? That's why they're stacked up that way. So don't think that if you just want muscular development power, that's where you need to go. You need to earn that by going through all the previous phases
0: very well said and when you look to at these percentages people are like well how how do i know if i'm at this percentage guys that's the importance of the acute variables so when we talk about acute variables again that's just the sets the reps the tempo the rest periods those are the acute variables and when we say a slow tempo it'd be really focusing more on the eccentric contraction so you know like a four to one in phase one you know in phase two when you're doing the stabilization, it may be a three, two, one, because of the superset, the strength part, may be two, zero, two. Well, how do I know this? A, it's all in the book. It's all in the book. But the reason why sometimes we put numbers to it is because, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, somebody says count to four versus one, two, three, four. So tempo is going to play a huge role in it. And if you don't think that it really matters, try to do 12 to 15 pushups going down for four seconds, pausing at the bottom of that for two seconds and coming up, adding the plus for one and doing that 12 to 15 times. You can see it's very difficult to do and maintaining proper five connected chain checkpoints, making sure the head doesn't fall, the back doesn't arch. All of these things are really, really important. And when somebody can't do that, they haven't, as Marty says, earned the right to really go into doing something faster. I don't care how fast you can move. If you can't move, with the right muscles, because like we said, we're only going to increase compensation patterns if we don't nail it from the start.
1: Yeah. And if you don't know the weight, if you fatigue at, the, at whatever reps, the percentage is already there. So don't worry. The percentage is a guide, but just if you're fatiguing at the reps for that uh, particular phase, you're good to go.
0: Yeah. So if you say 12 to 20 and they could do 21 or 25, it's way too light. Right. way too light. If you say 12 and they could barely get six, but you're, they're just pushing through it. It's way too heavy. That's right. where the percentages come in.
1: Right. And then, you know, changing, we get this question all the time. What do I go through the model and keep going through the model? Yes, you can. Right. Because stabilization, the next time around could be more challenging strength. And endurance could be more challenging. Power could be more challenging. Or once you've gone through the model linearly the first time, then you can undulate. So you'll see just as one example here, Monday, I might do muscular endurance, Wednesday, I could do power focused and then Friday, maybe my hypertrophy, depending on the athlete, the sport, the goal of the client and members or your clients will love this instead of like, oh, we did this last time, right? Sometimes I go week by week. Week one could be stabilization endurance. Week two could be strength endurance. Week three could be power. As Wendy said, the model is very fluid. It's not rigid. You just have to understand the why. I've done it before where I warm up with stabilization endurance, then I do a set of strength endurance and I finish with power. So there's ways that you can change things up, but there's always a scientific rationale behind it. So, you know, I think it's this is an easy example of that undulating purization where day one, I do one phase, day two, that week I do a different phase, and day three, I do another phase. But be flexible with it. But just understand what you're doing and the why and where you're putting what type of workout based on their activities or if they're playing a sport, right? You may want them to be fully recovered. So that's where the rationale has to come in. And then maybe Tuesday, Thursday is their speed agility, quickness in or cardio day, however you want to do it. But you can use the model both ways. We just highly, highly recommend if you're going to undulate it, you should go through the model linearly the first time. So you've made the adaptations of each phase.
0: And I'm going to throw something in there too, because again, if you're like, let's say in phase three, you, you know, you graduated from phase one, you did the supersets and all the things right in phase two, and you're really trying to build hypertrophy and it's three days a week. If you're not breaking it up into different body parts, sometimes, and you're doing total body every time you're in phase three, or especially when you get to phase four and you're doing one to five repetitions or five and it's power Then it's okay if you're in that one particular phase to throw in a phase one or phase two, you know, anywhere within that. So, you know, for example, doing phase five, three days in a row, that's really hard to do. And it's a lot to ask on your body. So we need to make sure that we are a fine moving machine each and every time. So maybe it's power on Monday, phase one to reestablish proper activation and patterning. So when I go into Friday, I can have that same power again. And right. so it's not that we have to just do four weeks only in that one phase. As you progress up, sprinkling in phase one and two is going to help you optimally get to the the higher phases and ensure that you're keeping the right muscles firing at the right time and the right plane of motion. So don't just think when, we, when Marty says literally, yes, you have to, you can't just have a crummy day and you're only in phase two and throw a phase five in there just so you can throw stuff around. That is not going to be beneficial for anyone. And that could actually in, like bring us down to phase one because they got injured. So it's one of those, if you're only in phase two, then maybe undulate phases one and two, phase yeah, three, yeah. undulate one and two and three and so forth.
1: Yeah. Sorry about that when I thought you brought it for a second. So even what I'll do is if I'm doing any of my phases, I will warm up with a few exercises of phase one. And sometimes I will purposely do my last exercise or two back to phase one as a reset. When I'm fatigued, I'm picking an exercise that I can still control. I'm not picking the hardest version, but it really makes me lock in and finish off back in that stabilization endurance after I just fatigue myself with a strength, endurance, or a power workout, right? So, again, that's where, as you're saying, Wendy, we can get creative with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very cool. It's so much fun. So, Wendy, if you want to go through the key takeaways,
0: Yeah, I mean, guys, you can tell Marty and I love this. I mean, we teach this for one day, two day, every time like we present on it and it's because it works. And that's one of the things it doesn't matter what goal your client has. As long as you set realistic goals and realistic timelines, any client can reach any goal safely, effectively and efficiently. As long as you're programming correctly, you're reassessing, you're reevaluating goals and you're choosing the right exercises for those individuals so are you using the model and if you are using the model are you using the acute variables because the tempo is super super important so slow it down speed it up whatever it is based on the phase that you're in but the model works it's evidence-based it's research quality is over quantity if somebody's starting to break down you have them going to 12 reps they're on 10 they're falling apart you shut it down right then and then the next set you're going to lower the weight and then try to get back to that optimal rep range again So don't just do it to do it, do it with intention, do it with quality and maintain those five kinetic chain checkpoints. So therefore, you know, you're going to to do it correctly. And then don't be afraid to undulate your programming. When you've moved up past phase one, that's when you start to, to go in and really start to integrate phase, like phase two actually has phase one in it. So usually I don't go back and forth in phase two. change up the exercises if you want to be creative it's not the same exercises all the time that gets boring but if somebody's new to these movements it's okay to do them back to back until they start to understand what you're asking and then you can become more creative because usually those are the the fundamental movement patterns that you need so when you get to these more complex exercises throughout the model the body's ready and prepared for that
1: no so very well said and i think Going back to understanding why NASM has created what they've created, why you went through this education, get back to the fundamentals, be your first client, be creative, and you will never, ever be bored with your training, you or your client. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> That's Wendy, uh, give all these amazing people your contact
0: information. I know. We didn't have any questions. So if you guys do have any questions before we end the podcast, please be, be um, feel free to enter them now so we can make sure we get those questions answered. But if you think about something later based on what we're saying or you're listening to this after the fact, you can always email me at wendy.bats at or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13.
1: And my information is coming right up. So same thing. Feel free to reach out anytime. So dr.martymiller72, and then email marty.miller at nasm.org. And just as a last reminder, if you are NASM credential and you're not on the NASM CPT Facebook page, that's another great way to interact with a lot of people. This is where we, uh, Wendy and I are both very active there, and this is where we get a lot of our ideas for the content. So feel free to jump in there and or reach out to us. So Wendy... Great work as always. And since it doesn't look like there's any questions coming in yet, we'll wait for them to come to us individually. But for those of you that joined us today, we greatly appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you on the next Master Instructor Roundtable.